Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Darby Toth, a technical field services representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services representative with Western United Dairies. Hey Darby, we hate to disappoint with another day of weather talk, but we have some kind of important weather talk today. It looks like things are really heating up in the valley this coming week. Yeah, from what I understand and here, we're going to hit triple digits next week for the first time, and that's going to be happening for a few consecutive days. I think it's still going to cool off pretty well at night, which helps balance that out a lot, as everybody knows. But that being said, if you have any disruptions to your rendering service or any issues with anything in that area, please give the office a call or call Paul Souza, and they can connect you to him at the office. And we will link the... Um information email and Paul's email in our show notes, just because we do know this could be something that comes up and we're heading into a three-day weekend and a busy week next week. So if you should foresee any issues or you run into any issues, you can also always call Darby and I and we'll put you in touch with Paul. Yep, we're happy to do that. So hopefully it's not too bad. Hopefully the, the cooling off at night helps things stay all right, but I guess we'll see how our first, it's really the end of spring already. I mean, no rolling right into it. So we'll see how it goes. June's hitting us right from the get-go with a little hot weather. And you know, it looks like it's going to be a beautiful three-day weekend across the state. So we're wishing everybody a really relaxing Memorial Day weekend. And I know in the dairy industry, we never quit, but we still hope you each get a few minutes to take some time with your families this weekend for the official kickoff of summer. And the weather will kick off summer with us, it sounds like. Exactly. Well, with that being said, we have an exciting episode this week. As always, we have our market update with Tiffany LaMandola. Anya, our CEO, had a chance to sit down with Dino Giacomazzi from United Dairy Families of California to talk about the upcoming quota vote. And we also have an update with Paul Souza about all things environmental. Absolutely. And, and just to reiterate what Dino and Anya are going to talk about, remember that the deadline to submit your ballots for the quip referendum is this coming tuesday they have to be postmarked by tuesday june 1st so get down to the post office um, this afternoon saturday or tuesday morning and get that postmark on your ballot we'll we'll leave you with that without further ado we'll jump right in with tiffany Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. Hi folks, hope you had a great week. Well, the uh, cheese market had, a, had another setback this week. We did see both blocks and barrels slump into the 150s. Blocks down to 153, down four cents, and barrels 157, down three and three quarters a cent. Though cheese demand still is reported as overall pretty healthy, we are hearing that kind of hot streak of food service order pipeline has beginning to kind of cool a bit. Retail sales nationwide, though, seem to still be um, enjoying some strength, and context expect the Memorial Day weekend to continue that trend, uh, and grocers are increasing promotional activity. Um, Even so, you know, supply continues to dominate the markets, and we've seen just a lot of offers um, make their way to Chicago and quite a bit of product trade. Moving over to butter, um, pretty range-bound still. We did lose six cents for the week, but just down to 181. 
Uh, we did get a cold surge report with USDA showing butterstock screw at a slower than average rate again in April, um, adding 28 million pounds for the month versus the average March to April build of 38 million. There's still plenty in coolers, though. We have most on hand for any April back to 1993. USDA continues to purchase butter via Section 32 funding. They um, announced awards on another 13.3 million pounds uh, for third quarter delivery. That amounts to about 2.7% of butter output for the period. And they still have some more money to spend. Uh, We estimate about $22.5 million uh, for purchases through the remainder of the year. Moving over to non-fat dry milk, we did lose just a half cent in the market. We are hearing um, that international buyers have quieted a bit this week. Uh, it sounds like shipments to Mexico have slowed as exports are exporters are grappling a bit with higher trucking costs and also timing snags. On non on dry way for the week, we did see some additional supply also make its way to Chicago. It uh, sounds like demand is healthy, but contact supply, uh, say supplies aren't quite as, as snug. Uh, we did lose two and a quarter cents there, down to 62.25. All eyes remain on the grain markets. We saw some profit taking along with good planting progress and some decent weather weigh on the grain markets in, in into midweek. Um, but then healthy export demand kind of continued uh, in earnest, particularly out of China ultimately helped the corn market rally back some. I think all eyes will remain on weather and and demand as we work through the growing season here. Have a wonderful holiday weekend. Talk with you soon. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast again. Uh, It's great to be here and uh, to be able to uh, connect and inform our members. This week, I have some updates from the Central Valley Water Board. Um, The first issue involves some letters on lagoons in areas of shallow groundwater. In early 2019, uh, the Central Valley Water Board sent out 71 letters to dairies in areas of shallow groundwater in Merced County. That's where groundwater is about less than 10 feet to uh, groundwater from the surface and they got this information from Department of Water Resources and other uh, information that's available. Those letters asked dairies to determine if their lagoon was intersecting highest anticipated groundwater and if so to fix it. Now the water board says that they will be sending out similar letters to dairies in areas of shallow groundwater in all other Central Valley counties outside of Merced County. In the past, the Water Board has stated that they have identified about 70 additional dairies to receive these letters. About six of them are south of Merced County, and the remaining 70 are north of Merced County, or the the remainder out of that 70 are north of Merced County. Recognizing how expensive these fixes can be, uh, Western United Dairies has had conversations with NRCS and others about providing funding to help uh, address this issue. 
So if you're in an area of shallow groundwater, if you're in Merced County, you've already been dealing with this. If you're outside of Merced County, uh, you may be getting a letter at some time in the near future, could be as early as this summer. We're not exactly sure. Uh, and now you, you know, you'd know where that's coming from. The second issue I wanted to talk about involves the State Water Board, uh, their review of the Central Valley Water Board's dairy permit. So the dairy permit was adopted in 2007 by the Central Valley Water Board, and it was immediately petitioned to the State Water Board for review. That petition eventually ended up in court, and the dairy permit was revised and readopted in 2013 as a result. The 2013 readopted order was also petitioned to the State Water Board. And we haven't heard anything else from that petition until now. The State Water Board is now working on that petition and there have been some changes since 2013, including the adoption of CV salts and the CVDRMP summary monitoring report that will affect this process. This could lead to changes in how dairies are regulated in the future. And I will keep our members informed as this process moves forward. Lastly, I wanted to talk about CV salts implementation. I've uh, been on the podcast before and talking about this. Uh, it's well underway, kind of wanted to talk about where things are at right now. So the Central Valley Dairy Representative Monitoring Program or CVDRMP, which I just mentioned, has sent out invoices to most of its members. Being a member of the CVDRMP means that you are in compliance with the monitoring requirements of the permit, as well as the salt and nitrate control programs that were recently adopted as part of CV salts. This is clearly the easiest way to comply with these requirements. All six priority one management zones submitted their early action plans on time by March 8th. The Water Board has put them out for public comment and reviewed them. They have conditionally approved five of them and are asking for some minor changes to them, uh, nothing significant. They did not approve the Thule management zone plan stating that Thule did not conduct enough outreach and relied too heavily on water filling stations. The Thule Management Zone was the target of environmental justice groups at a meeting held on April 27th for the public to comment on the early action plans. The public comments at the meeting focused on the same issues that I mentioned previously. These issues are being resolved and we look forward to the Thule Management Zone plan getting approved as well. The takeaway message here is if you're a member of the CVDRMP, you're covered and there's nothing else you must do right now for CV Salts compliance. And as always, I am available to answer questions or to take your calls uh, or emails at the office. Um, if you have any environmental questions, please reach out to me. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with waterboard regulations. Our proven above ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Okay. We would like to welcome to the show Western United CEO Anya Radabaugh and our friend and industry partner Dino Giacomazzi of United Dairy Families of California. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for Thank having you, us. Thanks for joining us today. You guys, um, we have a big deadline coming up at the beginning of next week. And so you both have joined us to talk a little bit about 
the importance of folks getting their ballots turned in for the, the referendum that's being held right now. And so I'm gonna let you guys take it away. Great, Melissa. Well, thank you so much. Um, we're really excited to be here. It feels like this day has finally arrived. Um, we'll start and stop the podcast interview by saying June 1st. Deadline is June 1st. <laughs> so we're excited about finally arriving at a conclusion to a very disputed topic among dairy farmers in California and dairy families in California. But June 1st is the deadline for a long-awaited referendum um, that essentially sunsets the quota implementation program. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that with Dino, who has been a stalwart for this industry. And we're really excited to hear his perspective on the background and the process and where we are today. Thanks, Dino. Thank you, Anya. Um, I'm not really sure what a stalwart is, but I'll assume that that's a positive thing. We'll just go with it from there. A leading um, light. Uh-huh. A leading light. All right. Well, that's that's maybe more, more than I deserve, but I, I appreciate the opportunity <laughs> to come and talk to you. I, I, I would like to start off though by um by commending you and and um suggesting that I really love your podcast and I'm I'm very proud as a uh, former Western United Dairy member for many, many decades. My family has been members since before there was Western United. Um, and I just think you guys do a fabulous job. I listen all the time, even though I don't uh, milk cows anymore. Uh, you guys are funny and fun and relevant and I just love it. So thanks for inviting me onto your podcast. Thank you. Great compliment. and Great job, Melissa and Darby leading the podcast effort. Good. So from there, I guess we're going to go and talk about quotas. Is that what we're here to do? Yes. I, it's, it has been the topic du jour for so long. But yeah, that's the topic today, quota. Yes. And, and of course, you know, we're, we're uh, a few days away from the end of the referendum period where uh, CDFA is allowing the collection of ballots and, and just, I think, getting some of that technical stuff up front uh, to clear that before kind of going back into the history. Um, the ballots, if they, they have to be postmarked uh, on or before June 1st. And so that's coming up, I think, on Monday. Is that right? So Tuesday? Okay. Tuesday. So, yeah. Tuesday. So if you haven't put your ballot in the mail yet, now would be the time to do it. And so, um, we don't, we won't, uh, I will, I will say uh, at this time too, that the, the department has indicated that they're going to open uh, the, the ballots and start counting them um, after June 10th to allow time for the mail to deliver the ballots that may be, that may be uh, put into the mail on June 1st. So if your ballot is stamped, you know, June 1st, it will be accepted after June 1st, it will not. Great clarification. Please do not wait, dairy farmers, men and women of California, get your vote in. So I think, Dino, if you want to, um, maybe we can talk a little bit, and we have a lot of listeners. Um, we're so excited to hear from dairy farmers and families that they're listening to the podcast, but we have a lot of listeners that span the scope of the industry. We have industry ally partners, um, sponsors, um, we actually have economists from all over the country listening to this podcast, which is an honor. 
Um, and so maybe we can talk briefly about what this petition does, how it reforms quota, and what the you know eventual outcome will be for dairy farmers. Okay, so the the language of the petition that led to the referendum, or the language in the referendum, essentially says that um, if passed, that uh, quota would would immediately, uh, the first thing that would happen is that the RQAs, which are the regional quota adjusters, which essentially are the different prices that producers get paid for their quota, depending on where their dairy is, that those will all be leveled and equalized to the value of quota in sort of the Tulare region. So the, you know, the Chino area and the North Coast area that are higher, that have higher uh, um, uh, payments, uh, those will come down to about the same as what the Tulare guys get, which I think is around $1.42 or $1.43, a hundredweight um, for their quota. So that's the first thing that happens is that the quota regional adjusters become the same across the state. And then it remains like that until March of 2025, at which time uh, quota would essentially be sunset. So there is a there is a five year plan um, to allow for producers with quota to uh, adjust their operations um, and 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 a five year plan for people to figure out what to do with their quota um, opportunities for people to sell and trade and do whatever they're going to do with it and so from the time we arrived at this plan um, back in. 2020, 2019 actually, uh, the date uh, that was agreed upon through our process was uh, March of 2025. So that is what happens uh, if or when the referendum passes. That's a good summary. And I think that pointing out that the RQAs will be equalized is, it has been an important part of the conversation that led up to the eventual petition and, and how UDFC, United Dairy Families of California, arrived at, you know, kind of that, here's a little bit of a cherry on top. Um, here's a conversation starter. It was a really good, I think, goodwill effort at beginning the conversation for folks that were steadfast to terminate the program immediately. So I, I see the wisdom in that. Well, maybe you know, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I mean, because because of the leveling of the RQAs, there will also be an immediate, um, although minimal, reduction in the assessment. So there will be, you know, some uh, immediate relief uh, by a few pennies. You know, it's not going to be a huge amount. But but how how that level of RQAs uh, situation arrived is is it really came out of the data, and. You know, through through the year long process that that United Dairy Families um, undertook with you know uh, support from the three co ops and the three trade organizations in California Dairy, um, you know it was really a data driven uh, conversation. You know, our our economists who were uh, Matt Matt Gould and Dr. Marin Bozik, you know, they're you know these these um, meetings that we held throughout the entire state were, were very focused on first collecting information from the producers. And then we went through these various stages of surveys to determine whether, you know, what were, what was 
what was uh, what was the interest of the industry? We were really trying to understand the pulse of the industry and and what would gather the best support. And at the end of the day, uh, the the petition that led to this referendum came directly from the data. Um, it was not you know a vote of of producers. It was you know it was essentially the decision was made. Whatever the data says is what we're going to do, and. The data dictated that a five-year plan was the one that suited the, the greatest number of people, and the um, and the leveling of RQAs, to a lot of our surprise, really stuck itself out in the data to to a degree that we couldn't avoid it, and uh, and it was very a very uh, uh, very evident that producers wanted RQAs leveled, and 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 I think we we assume. And have kind of surmised to some degree that that a lot of producers feel that the RQAs were somewhat redundant, uh, considering the um, you know under the federal order we, there's already regional uh, differences in milk pricing, and that maybe that the RQAs were no longer necessary. So that's kind of how we think we arrived. That's how we that's how that was arrived derived anyway through through the data through the through the votes and. Uh, you know, through the through the survey, so I guess in a way that was a vote. Oh, that's really good clarification. I think that the federal order certainly brought a light, brought to light a lot of these um, harder conversations. That you know, again, a stalwart leading light, uh, folks uh, like you, um, like many of other 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 colleagues in the industry have had to push through <clears throat> as the conversations got harder. Um, and again, I'll remind everyone that the the quota deduction, uh, we called it naked quota because after the federal order, um, people were very, um, they were noticing the quota deduction very quickly on their milk checks where they previously um, had only gotten the net pay price that had already had quota taken out. So that's really, um, just again, bring the whole conversation back um, <laughs> to November of, of 2018. Um, why we started to have some intense conversations as an industry to make changes. I think that it might be really important to dwell and remind folks about UDFC's background. Um, we have a lot of acronyms in this business. It's, it's a kind of a running joke, um, especially if you bring new people into the industry, um, learning the acronyms is a full-time job. So yeah. maybe we can discuss UDFC and, and, and why you stand out as being um, folks that have stuck with this incredibly painful conversation. Sure. Uh, well, you know, UDFC stands for United Dairy Families of California. And that name um, came into existence because that really describes uh, our mission. And, you know, in November, and really even before November of 2018, you know, the the stop quip guys had already started submitting or at least talking about submitting a petition for immediate termination. And, and that threw this entire industry into a turmoil. And, and I personally witnessed, um, you know, lifelong friends um, cut communications with each other, brothers fighting, um, fist fights at the sales yard in Hanford, you know, I mean, just People literally, um, literally feuding physically and emotionally over over this program that had been in existence for at that time 
uh, just about 50 years. And, you know, the discovery of the cost of quota on their milk checks was inevitable. And, and certainly, in my opinion, that cost should have been part of quota all along, in my opinion. There, you know, it was, it was, there should have never been a shock to anybody um, after 50 years of a program as to what the program cost. But, you know, that's dairy policy. You know, there's nothing easy or nothing <laughs> logical about dairy policy. So, you know, these, these fights are happening and people are freaking out. And so uh, myself and um, Xavier Avila, we, 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 uh, we organized the meeting in Hanford for people to come together and talk about it. And so from, and that was in January of 2019. And then from that meeting, uh, you know, we sort of met and, and, uh, and, and created a plan that led to the formation of, you know, dairy families. It was really after some long conversations that we had with the co-ops, with the trade organizations to find out, you know, what was going to be done uh, about the feuding in the industry. And it became quickly apparent that the, that the, that the, let's just say traditional leadership organizations of our industry were, their hands were tied. You know, everybody had the same story that, you know, we can't participate. We have members on both sides. And from there, you know, we felt somebody had to do something. And, um, and so we, we started this organization, you know, created a 501c5, you know, and through the whole process, we, we divided the state up into regions and, and recruited, you know, people from each region to kind of be the communicator for the region. It was, it's, it is and was very truly a grassroots movement, you know, for, for the vast majority of the time, we didn't have anybody. It was all volunteer. We, we finally had to hire uh, someone, Corinne uh, Madison, to help with, you know, the physical work of collecting the, the petitions. But, but throughout the entire you know, year-long process that we um, embarked on with the trade organizations and the, and the co-ops and Marin and Matt and, and all, all these meetings that we had around the state with, with you know, hundreds and hundreds of producers, I think, we, I think all in we had up to 600 individual producers participate in these meetings, which, which is you know, two-thirds of the industry. So we really felt that we had you know, the, the industry in mind, you know, throughout this process that we were getting uh, somewhat to the truth of what the industry wanted to do. Um, you know, we, you know we, 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 we started with this mission statement, which is that we, we exist for two things. One of them is to, um, is to protect quota from immediate termination because we felt that immediate termination wasn't fair. And the second thing was to try to lead a process to discover what to do about it. And we did, we, we, we led the process. We, we um, developed a five phased process. Um, you know, the first three phases were essentially, um, you know, listening. There was a listening to the producers phase. Then there was these two sort of different survey phases. And then out of all that listening and, and talking, the, the economists, um, you know, crunched all the data and came up with this petition language that we implemented, which was phase four. And now phase five is um, the referendum. So we are, we are very near uh, within a few days 
to the end of a two year long uh, process that um, that we are now in the in the twilight of our of our fifth phase. But um, I, I would like to mention that you know throughout this entire process, um, United Dairy Families of California has always maintained a a neutral position. We have we have uh, participated as a steward of a process, and we we have not. Um, try to inject our own views as individual board members uh, and as an organization into the process because we felt it's important for the industry to have a vote. And we're, as an organization, we were not, we were not invested in what, what the language of the petition was, only that there was a petition. We are not invested in the outcome of the referendum only that every producer has an opportunity to vote on the future of quota. And, and that, that um, I would say, uh, fundamental of our thinking about every producer votes really came out, it came from a place for us where we felt there's been many situations in the past where producers had their, you know, had something shoved down their throat, let's say, or, you know, we, we, we're, our attitude was, Quota should not be decided in courts, by regulators, in backroom deals between, you know, in closed doors, behind closed doors, with people that we don't see, uh, people representing us that are nameless, faceless, or whatever. We we think that every producer should have the power to put their decision down on paper and and be a part of the outcome. And the only way for us to do that was to get it to a referendum. And so we are here now at this referendum and every producer has the ability to vote. And we hope that every producer does vote. I, I will tell you that I will be really disappointed <laughs> if we don't get 100% of the producers to participate in this referendum. I, I know that that is somewhat of a pipe dream, but it, it would be shocking to me if we went through this much time and effort and all these conversations and so much pain and so much you know division in the industry and then at the 11th hour people decide it's not important enough to mark a check down in a box and send it in you know send it to the department so i, I really hope that people are going to vote yeah western united Dairy shares your your perspective on every producer being allowed to vote um i think that and we're obviously summarizing an exhaustive process but you know, it, it certainly that every producer getting a right to vote and maintaining existing thresholds, which we'll discuss right about now, wasn't always an easy thing for um, UDFC to protect. But that's worth mentioning that throughout the process to get to this final phase, um, there have been a number of uh, waylaid litigations that have really, um, I think, only demonstrated how important it is to your point the the you may not be listening to this podcast and have a strong opinion either way but your right to vote as a dairy farmer in California has been heavily preserved and extremely fought over the last several years and it's it's a fight that I'm proud of our organization's involvement I'm, I'm very proud that UDFC stuck to their guns but the voting thresholds for a qualifying referendum of this kind within CDFA 
are both qualitative and quantitative. So I think Dino, is a, this is a really good time if you want to go over um, and briefly discuss the qualifications and um, threshold sets for the referendum today. Sure. Um, you know, like all things that CDFA does, uh, it, it's kind of complicated and it, it takes a little bit of explaining. So here's, here's how, here's what's going to happen after June 1st when the referendum uh, period ends. Um, the first thing that the department is going to do is they're going to count, they're going to, first they're going to qualify all of the votes that came in and to determine if they're, if they are qualified. So did they get the right signer? Um, you know, and then other things, did, did it have, did it have a check mark? If it didn't have a check mark, right? There's several things that can disqualify um, your vote. And if you want to know what those are, you can go to dairyfamilies.org and you can look at our voter guide and you can see all the ways that you can get your um, petition disqualified. But assuming all of the petitions that were delivered to the department uh, are good and qualified, then the first thing that the department does is counts them to determine if 51% of all the grade A producers in California submitted ballots. So let's just say in you know round numbers, there's a thousand producers in California. If um, 501 uh, producers submit ballots, then the, then the count can continue. We have, we have qualified. So there's a, there's a minimum qualifying number of, of voters that are required to implement the referendum uh, count. That's 51%. Once they count all of the, all of the, the ballots, they will, they will log the vote and the, and the amount of milk that each producer represents uh, and those, and that milk number is on their ballot. It was, it was sent with the ballot. And so at that point, in order to pass the referendum, it requires 51% of the producers who voted with 65% of the milk that voted or it requires 65% of the producers that voted with 51% of the milk that voted. That is, uh, those are the two ways that the petition, or that the refer that the ballots or the petition can can pass uh, the election. Does that make sense? Is there, can I make <laughs> this easier to understand in any way maybe? I don't know. No, I think, I think you caught it. It's, um, it's generally a lower threshold to qualify the referendum, but then in order to pass it, you have some higher thresholds involved. I think the important thing for people to rec understand, and I, and I know there's a lot of misunderstanding out there, is that there's two different things, right? Like the qualifying threshold is 51% of producers, right? So let's just say it's 500 people vote. Five, let's just say it's five fifty, you know, 510 or whatever gets to... Um, 51%. <clears throat> I'm just making these numbers up. Don't, don't quote me on these numbers. Um, it's so of those 500 people, right? You need 250 plus uh, to vote yes, right? With 
then those 250 plus people need to represent 65% of the milk, or you need, you know, uh, 375 or whatever people to vote yes in order to get to the 65%. So however it goes, um, you know, that, that is, that is, so this is where I think it's really important for people to understand is that the vote, the milk, the milk conversation in the vote is only the milk that's voting, not the entire industry vote. Yeah. So, it's you know, that, really there, good there's clarification. quite a bit of, yeah, there's quite a bit of confusion out there about that. And I think that's important to know that we don't need, you know, if there's a million and a half, you know, if there's a million and a half cows in this state, you don't need, you know, uh, you know, 750,000 cows worth of milk in order to pass this thing. You only need, you know, you, you can, you can really win a petition and you can really win in California with 25% of producers because you only need 50% to vote and 25% of those to vote yes. Yeah, I think the key words are of those voting, then you apply the thresholds. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. in it, in, so this is a, a great segue to, and how many consolidated, I mean, how many farmers are eligible in California right now to cast their vote? Oh my God, you're asking me uh, technical, it's, you're asking me technical numbers. You know, well, it's I was 931. You <laughs> it's, so, it's, you know what though, it's, it, it might be 931. Um, it, it, it probably won't be 931 because the number will be decided on the day they count the ballots. Fair enough. On the day, on the on the day that they qualify, because if somebody goes out of business today, let's just say if if I submitted my ballot on March fifth, the day after it was delivered, uh, and then I sold my dairy on June first, my vote yeah. will be disqualified. Uh, because, this is a very good point. Because it's it's whoever is in business on the date that they qualify. That that particular ballot, and you know, and, and there's been a couple of problems out there already that we've helped to try to cure. That that or there's been some ownership changes that have happened mm -hmm. uh, between January first, where when they counted the milk, and now, and you know, it's and there, there's been several, you know, um, several sort of I would say difficult, like like uh, never done before or never thought of uh, issues around you know people's abilities to vote and you know and, and and as dairy families one of our missions is that every producer votes we've been we've been engaged in trying to help make sure that every producer gets to vote and it really it really highlights the fact that the statutes um in the code for you know the quip and for you know um all the the dairy marketing branch you know they really were they have very minimal language to deal with so many variables and a lot of complexity that, that, that exists in a dairy business. And, you know, and, and it's really difficult for producers to uh, solve problems in this industry, particularly related to this issue. So, you know, we, we, we don't expect that every producer's vote is gonna count and that there's gonna be some uh, disqualified. Unfortunately, we're never gonna know which ones they are because the, the department is not sharing that data with us um they have not shared with us throughout this process how many they've received because they have elected that they're going to not count or open any ballot until june 10th so we'll find out 
someday after June 10th. My guess is going to be it would be well into July, if not August, um, yeah. before we find out because they have to, you know, let's just say they got 800 ballots. Somebody at the department has to, has to vet every single one of those and figure out if they're in business, did the signatures match? You know, there's, there's all these things and it's probably going to take them a couple months um, would be my guess. So we, we won't know soon. Yeah, that's that's an optimistic assessment. Um, mm -hmm. As the California industry has moved away from the state managed run price system, certainly CDFA's staff has, has been affected. And and uh, so we'll just stand by with bated breath. I think that was a really good summary, though, Dino. Um, and I uh, really appreciate I think I think that are there any imparting I mean, one of the words that one of the phrases that I keep thinking of is vote, vote, vote. <laughs> if yeah. you're wanting to make sure your voice is heard, be loud and heard by casting your vote. That's right. Vote, you know, we, I don't care how you vote, just vote, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's important that your voice is a part of the process, right? Like we, we you know, we have to consider like what's next, right? Like if this referendum fails, what's next? Well, it's the next referendum and the one after that and the, the lawsuits after that and the ones after that. I mean, you know, this is, this is certainly not over. Um, and, and, you know, in my opinion, in my, you know, in my observation of what's going on. Um, but, you know, I think, I think if we can all come together and unite around a decision to vote, um, we can take the two very entrenched camps and, you know, and, and at the end of the day, I, I, I cannot blame, I can't blame anybody for voting, you know, voting their pocketbook, right? I mean, people are going to vote how they're going to vote. It would be, it would be pointless for me to sit here and try to convince anybody differently, but I, I think people have to consider what they want their life to be right like what they want this industry ultimately to to be and, and and can we do more together or are we better off divided and and i think that you know this has been the mission of the united dairy families of california is to unite the industry in order that we can work together on the bigger problems because we see problems bigger than quota uh gavin newsom for one is a problem and and gavin is not a problem but gavin represents a government he's the top character of a government that's a problem okay all of the california legislature and our regulators are somewhat of a problem uh and and all of the things that come along with it you know our markets um the dairy market continues to be volatile and difficult and i think thinking about you know the um the, the recently you know looking at these um uh, 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 the, the, the producer differentials in the milk checks, you know, we've, we've been fighting over 30 cents with the co-ops for, I mean, with the processors for 15 years or so. And we, we finally got our 30 cent problem solved and turned it into a $10 problem in some cases. So, you know, we, we have to, uh, come together, uh, as an industry and, and, Put these differences behind us one way or another whatever the decision is the decision needs to get made and and the industry needs to move forward together to try to weather the the storm that is sitting out there on the horizon 
Gotcha. Well, I, I think that that's a positive attitude and um, I'm looking forward to hopefully not talking about quota. Um, I know that a lot of us are in that boat. I know I bet you are the most yeah. um, having, having uh, gotten out of the dairy business. Uh, we really respect your desire to see this thing through and can't say thank you enough because it's probably been a mostly thankless job. Um, but we thank you for it and really appreciate the update. Well, I can, I can offer uh, a, a way for you and your listeners to ex express some thanks for the United Dairy Families and some of the work that they've done. And, and that would be to um, go to our website and make a contribution to the organization. You know, we've, we've had, uh, you know, an all volunteer organization. We've, we've taken on uh, a very big uh, project. We have, you know, we have bills to pay and we have incurred some costs in this process. And what we would really love to do is to, you know, clear our books and shut this organization down and, and put the entire, uh, the entirety of the quota controversy behind not only us, but the entire industry. So if, if you're inclined to, you can go to dairyfamilies.org and somewhere on there, I promise you there's a button that you can click and it'll tell you how you can send us a check or make a credit card contribution through our website. And I will make a commitment to you in front of God and everyone that I will discuss this with our board uh, very soon. Let me know if you want me to come in. I, I can bring my... Um, <laughs> I can either bring my bullwhip or a bottle of Jack Daniels and help the conversation. I think the bottle of Jack would smooth things down a little bit. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Dino. Thank and you, thanks guys. Thanks from Melissa and Darby for hosting us. Thanks for being Take here care. today. Okay, Darby. Well, to wrap up today's episode, we want to give a huge thank you and shout out to our economist, Tiffany Lamandola, for the market update this week. UDFC founder and advisor, Dino Giacomazzi, and our own Director of Environmental Affairs, Paul Souza, for both taking the time to sit down with us this week. And of course, Anya for joining us with Dino. And I just have one quick piece of housekeeping. We have a big deadline coming up in the North Coast Regional Water Quality Board for our producers to turn in water quality plans and riparian management plans. Very exciting stuff. But um, we just wanna give a shout to members in those areas. If you have not contacted me, Melissa Lima, your field rep, please do so soon. We want to get you on the books. My schedule is filling up really quickly. Those documents are pretty straightforward to fill out, but we just want to make sure you have all the support you need when turning those in. So there's our last bit of housekeeping for the week. And with that being said, remember you can reach out to us with questions, comments, and content requests. You can reach us at the podcast at wud.pod at gmail.com. If you have questions for Melissa, you can reach her at mlema at wudairies.com. And I can be reached at darby at wudairies.com. Remember that we're also going to link Paul Sousa's email in the show notes if you have any questions for him. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform and have a great week and a happy Memorial Day weekend. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, 
California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.